journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shavua Tov and welcome to my show. I'm Adel Kozulski and I'm very excited to spend the next three quarters of an hour with you learning Torah. Had a little bit of a break sharing, um, well actually participating in a family simcha, which is wonderful. It's always great to uh, be the recipient of Hashem's incredible goodness and kindness. And, uh, yeah, it was very, very busy and, uh, it all went well. And now I'm back in the seat and I'm actually glad to have a little bit more, I guess what you could call monotony, you know, just things being what they're supposed to be every single day. And this is one of my favorite times of the week where I sit down and we learn Torah together. If you'd like to, uh, Give any comments or you'd like to join in the conversation, ask any questions, 34519 is the SMS number or 061-895-1019 is our telegram number. And for those who are only joining us for the first time, we are studying the book of Genesis. We are in chapter 29. We are in the Parsha of Ayetze. And uh, for those who are have, have been around, we are at the point where Jacob eventually does leave the land of Israel, and um, he is he is uh, traveling now towards Lavan, towards the uh, his, his his family that his mother had told him that he needs to go to, and we are going to read how, in fact, now he does meet his future wife. If you are at home or you are sitting around, pull out a uh, Bible, pull out the five books of Moses, uh, look in the book of Bereshit in Genesis and open up to chapter 29 verse 1 because that is where we uh, are starting up. Vayisa Yaakov Raglav, Yaakov set off briskly, means he lifted up his legs, Vayelech outside Bnei Kedem, and he heads towards the people of the east. What does it mean that he lifted up his legs? Well, it says that his legs really felt very light as he set off en route down to um, uh, the Kedem to the east. And who was in the east? In fact, it was the home of Abraham and Sarah. It was the home of his mother, Rivka, as well. So his grandparents and his mother's side. Um, they all came from from the east, and in fact, he's going back, as we know, because he was told by his father and his mother to leave, not only because his brother Asa was looking to kill him, since um, allegedly was that he had stolen the the blessings, but that it was time for him to marry. Why was he so excited to go? Why was he uh, lifting up his legs? He settled very lightly. Because he had just finished now um, receiving this, these incredible blessings from God, where God promised that He will be with him, that all the um, lessons that he learned with regard to, sorry, all the blessings that he had had had, had received were from Abraham, and that in fact they were all guaranteed to come true. And we will see as we are going through the journey with Yaakov 
that God does indeed bless him and he indeed becomes very, very successful. So he lifts up his feet and he walks towards the land of the east of the people of the east. We're going to Haran. Vayar, and now this is verse two, Vayar, Vihine Be'er Basade. He looks around and there is a well in the field. Vihine Sham Shlosha Idre He sees three flocks of sheep. Roftsim Aleha. They were lying near it. Ki min Habe'er Hahi Yashku Adarim. Because it was from this well that the flocks were to be watered. But the, the, the stone was very big on the mouth of the well. So he has a kind of like a kvitzas adera. He has a shortening of the road. He leaves the land of Israel and he arrives in the area of Haran and he sees a well in the field and there are a whole lot of sheep hanging around three flocks in fact. And it seems like nobody's doing anything because there's this big, big stone that is covering the mouth of the well. When all the flocks would assemble, what would the shepherds do? They would roll the stone from the well's mouth, and then they would water the flocks. And then they would return the stone to its place on the mouth of the well. So what do we see here? Very interestingly, that this was no ordinary well, and this was no ordinary stone. In fact, what we do see is that it was impossible for people to do this on their own. They had to wait till all the flocks gathered, and then what would happen would be that all the uh, shepherds cumulatively would have to move this huge stone. Everybody would land up feeding their flocks. And once everybody had finished giving water to all their flocks, then again, all the shepherds would have to take their cumulative strength together to go and turn back the stone onto the mouth. Now, why is this significant? You'll see very, very soon. For now, Yaakov wants to start a conversation. So we're going to look in verse 4. Lahem Yaakov. So Yaakov comes to them and says, Achai, my brothers, me'ain atem, from where are you? Vayoimru, and they respond, me'charan anachnu. We are from Haran. So the very first thing we can see is that they go and tell Yaakov they are actually from the place that Yaakov has intention to go to. He is traveling to Haran. So they are Haranonites. I guess you could call them that. Vayomer lahem, so Yaakov says to them, Hayedatem et Lavan ben Nachor. Do you know Lavan, the son of Nachor? Vayomru yadanu. We know him. So straight away, for anybody who's been following the text, there is something wrong with this verse. Because Lavan is not the son of Nachor. Lavan we, Lavan, we know, his father's name was Betuel. Betuel, his father, was the son of Nachor. 
So what we see over here is that, in fact, um, Yaakov, and this was not by mistake, but on on purpose, Lavon says, I'm sorry, Yaakov says, do you know Lavon, the grandson of Nahor? He says the son of Nahor, but he he omits that Nahor's father was, in fact, Betuel. Question, why? Because Betuel, as we know, when we were talking about uh, the meeting of Eliezer with Rivka, Betuel was not a great guy. He was not the most honest guy around. And in fact, um, he was known for his, he was known for, for his, uh, his cheating and his, uh, insincerity in absolutely everything. In fact, if you remember, he tried to cheat Eliezer. He tried to kill him when Eliezer came to the well. Then he tried to poison him. And by mistake, he had, uh, a, uh, the poison landed up with his father, and he, in fact, killed his father. Betuel was not the nicest guy around. And um, uh, Yaakov understands that, and so he, he, he wants to, to, to know if he's in the right place, but he kind of wants to leave Betuel out of him. And besides, Nahor was Abraham's brother, and Abraham had an, a very good name, and so by extension, one could as, assume that Nahor was riding on that mark of status. When he went to say, do you, some other commentaries go and say, when he said, do you know uh, about Lavan, what he was really asking was, is he a true son, uh, a son of Nahor, meaning, does he have a good character, like Abraham's brother, or is he living up to the reputation um, of himself, which means that he has the reputation of being a cheater? And literally the reply of Yadanu, <clears throat> excuse me, we know him. What they were saying, do we know him? Boy, do we know him. We know everything about him, even his motives. We're going to go for a little bit of a break and we'll continue shortly. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back, and we're looking at Genesis chapter 29. And right now, what we were reading was the fact that Yaakov put out like some feelers and said, Hey guys, where are you from? To the shepherds that were hanging around the well, and their answer, we're from Haran. And then he asks, Do you know Lavan, the son of Nahor? And as we spoke previously, he was trying to find out, is Lavon still good for nothing, Nick? Or is he the son of Nahor, who was Abraham's brother, and does he have the status, does he have a good character like Abraham's brother? But Yadanu, oh boy, do we know him, okay, um, indicated that this news was good. So he continues the discussion, Yaakov. We're looking at verse 6 now of chapter 29. So he says to them, Hashalom lo, is he doing well? Vayomru shalom. He is well enough, they said. Vehine Rachel bito ba'a im hatzon. And while they were talking, behold, Rachel, his daughter, is coming 
with the flock. What were these shepherds telling Yaakov? Well, basically, they were saying to him, yes, 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 his reputation is like a swindler. He is still intact. He's still a good for nothing because look, look who's coming now. Rachel, his daughter, is coming with his sheep. Why would his daughter be looking after his sheep? All the other people had had shepherds. They were all men, all employed. Why would Lavan have his daughter be looking after the sheep? And the answer in between the lines was that he couldn't even get a shepherd to take care of them because everyone had been burnt by Lavan at least once. Okay, everybody got schneid by this good-for-nothing Lavan. And at the end, nobody, nobody wanted to work for him, and the only one left to tend his sheep was his daughters. And that's really what Yaakov was saying. He said, Hashalom law, does he have peace? Meaning, do you live at peace with him? Because if he is so dishonest, you might as well have cause to hate them. So they replied, we are at peace with them, but if you have so many questions, well, look, here comes Rachel with the sheep. You can find out whatever you want from her because she likes to talk. Now, one of the things I wanted to bring to people's attention is that in Torah, what we actually find out is that it's not only about us being... um moral, spiritual human beings and having a connection with God, but it is also about being a moral and, and good human being with people. And there is a tremendous amount of laws that surround the idea of being honest. And I, I want to talk about it a lot because there's two main ideas that come out here. And uh, the one is the following – there is a saying in the Gemara, in the Oral Torah, that if you want to really, really know a person, you can see him by three traits. You can, you can find out everything about a person from three character traits. Now, it's a play on a word in Hebrew, basically taking the Shorish. The Shorish means the three main letters that make up a word, and it's pronouncing them in different ways. What are the three character traits? Bekiso, Bekaso, Bekoso. Bekiso means with his pocket. Bekaso means with anger. Bekoso means with his cup. What is the Gomorrah really telling us? A very fascinating thing, and I have to tell you that I have seen it so, so often how true this adage is, it's actually quite unbelievable. That a person's character will be seen by his pocket, meaning the way he handles money, the way he functions in business, Bacasso, when he is angry, and Bacasso, when he gets drunk. Now, let's go to the first one. Um, we can discuss all three of them, of course, but this is where I'm bringing this idea in is because Yaakov is asking that question exactly. Like, how honest is Lavan? 
you know does he does does he walk around uh, reputably or is he known as a swindler and the bottom line is is that in fact um when it came to money when it came to business dealings lavon was horrific in fact we see much later that yakov that jacob builds up his empire all over again lands up with lots of sheep and lots of cows he becomes unbelievably wealthy and when he wants to take leave of lavan there is a whole huge dispute um between them because lavan feels a cheated even though lavan himself was a cheat and there is no better example of lavan's dishonesty in that he makes a deal with yakov that he's able to marry Rachel he has to work for 7 years to marry Rachel and on the night of the wedding he swaps his daughters around so he was a good for nothing and one of the things that we see and it is a mark of a human being is when you want to know who this person is really go look how he functions in business and how he functions around his money money tells a tremendous story about human beings it will tell you whether they're stingy whether they're generous whether they're fair um whether you know they'll take that they, they don't mind taking people for a ride and truthfully the 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 torah demands um a a, a tremendous level of honesty um around the whole idea with money and the way that we transact with money many many people don't uh feel it necessary if for example um they've gone to the shop and something got forgotten to be paid with or the shop made a mistake and they you know they they they, they didn't get charged the right amount or there was a mistake and you know we we could have said something the bottom line is is that one needs to be unbelievably honest in all of their business dealings and i'm going to come back again because you're going to see furthermore that uh that that there is more to being honest in business um but let's go on to the other two adages but kaaso in a person's anger i don't know if you've seen people angry i don't know if you yourself get angry but there is no question that our true colors come out when we are angry there are people that are angry and that are able to handle the anger express the anger appropriately and deal with that feeling of anger in a in in a channeled way and then there are people who get angry maybe for nothing maybe get angry for something but the manner in which they get angry is one of a king kong or bulldozer a person that actually just despite anything else will embarrass and and pull down other people in their anger so you want to see the true character of a person where the person internally really really is uh, hanging around then you need to see the fact that um you got to see how they in fact behave when it comes to them being angry and finally bacoso with his cup You know what it says nikhnas yayin wine goes in yaitse sod out comes all the secrets again when we watch people who get drunk people who take drink 
Sometimes you will see people who are very um, level-headed, very connected, and when they get drunk, they 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 spew out words of Torah, and they become far more uh, connected with God. And then, unfortunately, for the majority of people, when they become drunk, the the their the bad character traits come out unbelievably. So the Torah says, "Bekiso, bekiso, bekaso." Both with money, with anger, and with with drinking, one is able to ascertain the real character trait of a human being. And um, again, this comes back to what Jacob was asking about. Now, does he have peace? Is he with? Is he at peace with people, or um, or not? And the answer comes out straight away that he's not. That there isn't a shepherd in town that is prepared to work for. Lavan. I see there's a question here. Was it Lavan or Betuel who was bad? And the answer is both. The apple didn't fall far from the tree, but it was Lavan who actually tried to poison Eliezer. Um, the, what happened was, um, just to, to recap there, when Eliezer came to the well, Lavan tried to kill him. You remember Eliezer used certain spiritual powers and he hovered above the well and it, he was unable to get to him. So Lavan decided he'll be nice, he'll invite him in, he'll be deceptive, he'll invite him in for a meal and he'll poison him. And so Lavan prepared poison for Eliezer, but the angel went and changed things around and the plate of food that had the poison landed at his father, Betuel. So, in fact, Lavan killed Betuel. So, Joseph, thanks for those comments. Um, they were both good for nothings. I think Lavan worse than Betuel. Um, and it was, in fact, uh, Lavan who tried to poison Eliezer landed up inadvertently poisoning his father. Now, we spoke a lot about the idea of being honest in business and it's not only about the money but it is also about time and let's explain that by looking at verse 7 um, of chapter 29 Yaakov looks around at the shepherds and says the following he says it's still broad daylight um it's not yet time to bring the livestock in, meaning your job's not done for the day. It's still broad daylight. Why are you not watering the sheep and then taking them to graze? And this was something that now you can see the MS, the, 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 the truthfulness of Yaakov, which by the way, he represents MS. He represents truth, the attribute of truth. He goes and he basically chastises the men that why are you wasting your time around the well? If, and as he knows and has said in the Torah, if a man hires himself out to do a day's work, whether it is to teach, whether it's to write, whether it's to do any other type of work, if you are an employee, you obviously agree with your employer on a specific number of hours. If you don't, the halakha states that you must work from sunrise until the stars come out. 
So whether you're on a contractual basis and you're told your office hours are, say, 8.30 to 5, or if it's not and you're contracted out, you must work from sunrise to sun to, 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 till stars come out. Why? Because if you quit or you mess around, it is considered as if you are cheating your employer. The Torah is very, very strict about that. And when we talk about theft, when we talk about cheating, we're not only talking about this in the realm of, of money, of, you know, conniving and uh, paying for something less or cheating and not paying for what you have to. But in fact, um, it's also talking about stealing time. And it's something that is a very, very bad habit in society that you're paid by your employer and you don't have too much uh, conscience in wasting time and spending 15 minutes WhatsApping your family or picking up the phone and doing something else or typing your own business on the computer or any such thing where the time that you're paid, the hourly rate that you're paid is for you to produce work and you are using it for your own personal benefit. So Yaakov calls these guys out and says, what are you doing here? It's still broad daylight, like it's not time to take the sheep home. Why aren't you actually watering them and going on and taking them out to graze? You're stealing from your employer. You're not doing the work. You're supposed to be doing um, because you're being paid for it. So there seems to be a culture of deceptiveness that Jacob is walking into. Um, Lavan is the worst of them all, and he has a very, very bad name around him. And it seems to indicate that the shepherds, too, are somewhat blasé, and they don't care too much either about it. So, you know, Jacob does give them this little dig, and it is something that all of us should worry about, that if we are being paid to do a job, if you're obviously being paid to do a job, and they say, I don't care when you do the job, I don't care how much it takes you, he has uh, 10,000 rand and you need to get the job done, then it means that you just need to get the job done. But if they go and say, I'm giving you 10,000 rand and I expect you to be around between 8.30 and 5, or whatever, whatever, whatever the terms and conditions are, then it is considered cheating and stealing if one um, is not available during that time, one does not do the work of the employer at the time, and if one takes off all that time um, for personal things, you can go to your employer and say, I need an hour off and get permission. That, of course, is allowed. We're going to go for a little bit of a break, and we'll be back. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back, and we're talking about honesty in the marketplace and that one can tell by the way one handles money and now one can also tell by the way how fastidious one is when it comes to spending the time that um, you are paid for. But what do these shepherds say to Yaakov when he does chastise them that, hey, why are you guys just hanging around? Like pull off the stone, feed the flocks and then take them out to graze. Vayoimru, they reply, Lo nuchal, we cannot. Ad ashe yasfu 
kol ha'adarim, until all the flocks have gathered, ve'galalu eta even me'al pi ha'be'er, and they um, we can then roll the stone from the mouth of the well, ve'hishkinu hatzon, and then we can water the sheep. Meaning, we are not. They're, they're replying to him. We're not messing around. We're actually not wasting time. But we have to wait until all the flocks of sheep that are in the surrounding areas come together, and we do it once. Odenu medaber. They were still talking. Imam with him. The Rachel ba'a im hatzon. Rachel is Rachel comes with the uh, flocks. Asher la'aviha, that belonged to her father, ki ra'ahi, she was in fact a shepherdess. So there is very, it's absolutely interesting, um, the way that Rachel is, is, is handling this entire situation. Girls are not shepherdesses, okay? And in fact, out in the field alone, Rachel was in fact in great danger. The fact that she was and always remained unharmed showed that God was watching over her. We're also told in the Midrash that Rachel was too young for the shepherd boys to take an interest in her. Um, and so she was looking after the sheep as opposed to his, his sisters, her sister Leah. Leah being the older one. In Toldot, though, in the previous parsha, we actually learned a very interesting midrash, and I'm going to repeat it again for those who don't know it. But the theory, or what was supposed to happen, was that Rivka had twin boys, Asav and Yaakov, and Lavan had, um, had two daughters, Leah and Rivka. And it was written in the in in uh, their destinies that Leah was to marry Asaf, and Rachel was to marry Yaakov. So we should have had four forefathers and four foremothers, Asaf being one of them. But as we learned, Asaf messed up. He made unbelievably bad choices in his life. And he lost that zuchut. He lost that merit to be a forefather, which left a problem because now we've got two foremothers. And uh, one of the things that the Midrash said was that Leah was very spiritual. She understood that her destiny was that she was to be the zivuk, the soulmate of uh, Esav. And it pained her so much that she was destined to marry an evil man, that in fact all she did was sit and cry, okay? Um, and she cried so much um, that her eyes weakened and they were injured by the sun and the air and she did not have incredibly good eyesight because of it. Her prayers were obviously answered. Yaakov took on the burden of both the four mothers, Leah and Rachel, and it's and and it says therefore that number one she could not come with the sheep because she was already mature, and secondly she couldn't look after the sheep because her eyes were were compromised from all the crying that that she had done. Furthermore, um, 
going back to the fact that there wasn't a shepherd in town that wanted to work for Lavan, we're also told in the Midrash that an epidemic had struck Lavan's sheep, killing almost all of them, perhaps in divine retribution for all his dishonesty. And um, since he believed Lavan that it was the shepherd's fault, he fired all of them and he employed Rachel to uh, to tend to the few valuable survivors. Um, and he was hoping that while Rachel would look after them, they would in fact grow again into a big flock. Truth be said, who did that for Lavan? It was in fact Yaakov, and as mentioned, by the time Yaakov wants to take leave of Lavan, they have an argument about who do the sheep belong to. So let's go back to the picture of what we're trying to understand. Yaakov comes to a well. He sees a whole lot of shepherds there. There's a heavy stone on the well, and um, they're all waiting for all the sheep to come. And who, in fact, are they waiting for? For none other than Rachel. But Lavan, when he sees Rachel, the daughter of Lavan, Achi Imo, the brother of his mother, the Etzon Lavan, Achi Imo, and he sees the sheep of Lavan, the, the brother of his mother, Vayigash Yaakov, Yaakov steps forward, the Yagel Eta Eben Me'alpiha Be'er, he rolls the stone from the well, well's mouth, and he waters his uncle Lavan's sheep. Wow! Listen to this. Yaakov pushes the stone away with one hand by himself, like a man removing the cover of a pot. Remember, all of the shepherds were waiting because they commutatively needed to be there in order to move this heavy stone. But when Yaakov sees Rachel, um, he had unbelievable strength Okay, and it, he just, and remember, he was also traveling for a very long time. He just simply moves away the stone with one hand. We're also told in the Midrash that um, the water rose to greet him. It overflowed automatically, watering all of Lavan's sheep. And when Yaakov saw all these miracles, he understood, in fact, that it, it was a time of divine providence and that, in fact, God was arranging him to meet his intended bride as well. The Torah, if you see in this verse, talks about the fact that Rachel is the daughter of his mother, a brother Lavan, and that the sheep belongs to his mother's brother Lavan. And the question is, why? Isn't that redundant? And so it answers that, Yaakov didn't remove the stone because he was attracted to Rachel, but out of respect for the kin of his mother, Rivka. And we are told further that this well yielded a lot, a lot, a lot of water um, that overflowed for over 20 years in the merit of Yaakov's saintliness. And here we're going to finish off with a verse that is, it's very interesting to actually understand, but it says, Vayishak Yaakov Rachel, Yaakov kisses Rachel, Vayisa et Koiloi, he lifts his voice, Vayyef, and he begins to cry. Why, oh why? Okay? 
Um, so there are three reasons given as to why there was weeping. The first is that with prophetic vision, Yaakov saw that Rachel could not, will not be buried together with him in Marata Machpelah because divine providence will have, uh, had already decreed that she in fact will be buried along a main highway, um, giving birth to Benjamin, which we will obviously come to later on. And why was she buried along the highway so that when the children of Israel went into exile, they could stop and pray at her grave. And seeing the long future exile, how hard it will be for his descendants, how hard it will be that his wife will remain alone on the side of the road, he lifted his voice. He kissed her. And when he saw that and he got that prophetic vision, he cried bitter, bitter tears. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. And we've got just a couple of minutes to finish up the other two reasons why Yaakov cried. The second one, the second um, reason given is that he came empty handed and that disturbed him greatly. Um, and he said, look, Eliezer was only Abraham's slave and he came here to get my mother to marry my father. He came here with 10 camels laden with treasures and I'm coming with nothing. Why? Do you remember? Because Asaph's son, Eliphaz, took all that he had. Now, it's not that he was materialistic because a tzaddik, a saint, is not concerned with wealth and and he certainly doesn't cry over it. But Yaakov wanted to make a good impression on his future wife. And it says that he only had his clothes that he was traveling in, his clothes were tattered from the journey, he looked like a tramp, and he was very, very embarrassed. So that caused him to cry. The third is because he realized he had made a mistake by kissing Rachel publicly, because that was obviously incorrect behavior. What had happened is he kissed her, and then he saw other shepherds complaining to themselves, and they were saying, look at this, since the time of Noah, People in our area have done the best to avoid sexual immorality. And here comes a stranger and he's kissing a woman in public. And he realized he had done wrong and he instantly felt repentant um, and he began to weep. The Torah, however, goes and um, gives Yaakov a certain measure of benefit of the doubt and saying that it says, Vayisa Yaakov Rachel, Yaakov kissed Rachel, indicating that he kissed her on the head or on the shoulder. Okay, he didn't kiss her in a, a, a sexual way, but he greeted her like he would greet family. However, having just said that, and to end on the note, um, it is considered in Torah um, incorrect to go and kiss certainly strangers, and, and let me go further, kiss and touch strangers and even um, certain family mem- members. So our sages have said that it's forbidden for a man to kiss his cousin or, or anybody else, and um, that one should be careful when one is in public that one, you know, holds oneself um, in a moral, um, with, 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 with a sense of morality and respectfulness and decency. And so in the Orthodox world, you will see that it is not um, an accepted practice that when people come in that you give them that... Um, little hug and that little peck, you know, of like, welcome, come in, um, nor there is there shaking of hands 
between opposite sects. And all of that is a boundary. It is a border in order to ensure the, 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 the morality and the, the innocence and the, 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 the spiritual health of, of each and every human being. And it, this is, this is a discussion in and of itself. Unfortunately, that which I cannot take, but something that is sorely, sorely missing in today's society where people are treated as people, not as things. So with that, um, as always, time flies very, very quickly. I've enjoyed being here. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this Torah class, and I look forward to being back in the same time, same place next week. Meantime, Shavuot Tov. Have a wonderful week ahead.